I have to apologise up front. This episode, our guest is a lawyer. It's snuck in with the real people. But no, let's be honest, lawyers are good people too. And this lawyer is a very interesting gentleman. He deals with internet law. And the internet is a very interesting place because you can do a lot on the internet. Technology enables you to do so much. And then you have to ask yourself, should I be doing it? And then the next question has to be, is it legal to do it? People steal sound, text, images all the time off the internet. So I thought it'd be good to have a bit of a chat to him and find out about that. During the discussion, I found out how the World Wide Web is becoming less World Wide Web and becoming more geographically isolated. So he has some very interesting things to say that. And he also spent 12 months living in Russia in the middle of Siberia. It's a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. Let's go there now. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his What? It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Merry. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Merry. Now, today I have a very interesting individual. We are all running our businesses or in- impacting and interacting with other businesses over the internet, but some of us are not doing the right thing. And our, my next guest is an internet lawyer for business. Very interesting background. Uh, he was doing a bit of stuff in internet law and he had to go to Asia and do nothing for a year because of it. Looking forward to finding more about that. He lives in a national park, essentially, up in hidden in behind San Diego. So uh, it's going to be good to find out a little bit more from this very interesting individual. Please welcome to the show, Richard Chapo. Great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, yes, um, so go. as I start my show with, with every guest, I want to ask you the question, how do you define success based on, you know, you've done some amazing things. So how do you define success? Um, you know, I think early in life, uh, I would have defined it as, you know, having either enough money or a revenue source that allowed you to travel. I'm a big believer in experiencing, you know, different parts of humanity. That's why I did travel quite a bit in my life. Uh, now that I'm in my fifties, I would you know look at it more as life balance. Um, you know, lawyers in particular, we, you know, we have, a history of a hectic work schedule, working 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, and I don't do that. And, uh, you know, there's a trade-off in compensation, but there's also, you know, trade-off in mental health. Um, <laughs> and so for me, life balance at this point is, is really success. If you can, you know, make enough money to live comfortably, um, but also, you know, recognize that, that there are other things in your life, uh, you know, your spouse, your family, um, you know, getting out and doing whatever. Uh, you know, I think that that's it carries a certain value at this point. Yeah, well, that's the thing with lawyers. Um, you know, the joke, and but it's based in truth that they, you know, they live life and charge in six-minute increments. Uh, yes, and, and you know, you've got to account for every six-minute increments. Like that must cause a heck of a lot of stress. It does. Yes, but, you know, particularly when you're an associate when you first start out a law firm. You know, you, you're it's they usually set a budget or, you know, an amount that you have to bill each month, 160 hours, 180 hours, things of that sort. And, uh, yes, you know, it is, uh, it's stressful. Um, you know, and a lot of the work, you know, I mean, people see, you know, dramatic courtroom scenes on TV and a lot of the work, particularly on the civil side is just dredge work. It's you know, reading through thousands of documents, that kind of thing. <laughs> like most industries, uh, the TV makes it seem exciting and entertaining and all cases are wrapped up in 45 minutes 
Uh, and that's not how the real world works. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah. There's, um, you know, uh, you know, some cases it can be the case, particularly in the criminal area. But yeah, the civil side, when you're, you know, having an argument between, uh, you know, whether the uh, the person who built the foundation of a building or the person who did the plumbing, you know, caused a water leak. Um, you know, half the battle is just trying to keep the jury awake. So, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, so you're now an internet lawyer for business. So. Um, and, and your your specialty is around the, the, the legalities of the internet. How did you, because the internet being relatively newish, how did you get into that scene? Did you fall into it through necessity? Uh, definitely fell into it. I had um, been defending wrongful death cases through the 90s, um, representing hospitals and doctors with a, a particular firm specialized in the area. And got sick of it, and I ended up taking a year off. Uh, went to Siberia, the logical move. Uh, stayed as in Siberia for a year. Yes, as you do. And came back, and I had a, an attorney that I had worked with, one of my peers, who had also left the firm, and he had become CEO of a internet company. This is in nineteen, well, two thousand, and um, you know he was looking for somebody to handle legal work, and nobody really knew what to do at that point because everything was brand new. And uh, so I said, oh, okay, I'll do it as long as you understand. I, I got to figure it out. And one thing led to another. And um, yeah, I've been doing it since then. Um, you know, kind of fit what I was looking for at that point because a lot of law is what I call destructive. You're usually, you know, arguing over some type of a dispute. But, you know, what I do now is primarily, you know, helping people, mm. uh, you know, trying to keep them safe so they can grow their business without, you know, running afoul of this regulation or that law or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about internet law, but before we do, why why Siberia? It was did you go to Irkutsk or uh, near Lake Baikal or whereabouts in Siberia did you go? Actually, just to the east of that, to a city, a forbidden city called Chita, mm. uh, and uh, you know they had weapons development and things of that sort. Um, I was looking around for something I was just fried from practicing and uh, I hooked up with somebody on the board of a large publicly traded business who um, was also on the board of this charitable group that was in Siberia. And so um, they were working with universities and, you know, moving educational materials and things of that sort. They were called Siberian bridges at the time. Mm. And um, actually they were called musical bridges at the time. They were started by a piano player. And um, so I started talking to them and they were pumped about it. And I thought, well, definitely be a way to change life. It would certainly be. (laughs) It's a beautiful part of the world, isn't it? It is. is, Yeah, this is very beautiful. It's, uh, you know, it's so vast. It's just, it's just, it's hard to really grasp. I don't think people really think about just how large Russia is. I was fortunate enough to, um, uh, to visit and go to Lake Baikal in Kutsk when it was frozen and there's people riding their motorbikes on it. And it was so noisy. The lake, the frozen lake was noisy, cracking along the edge, which I'm, I'm not used to frozen lakes living in Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it, just a stunning place. Just absolutely uh, amazing perspective on a different way to live. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Lake Baikal in particular is amazing. I yeah, was there also when it was frozen. And mm. uh, it, I mean, it's just hard. I mean, it looks like a sea. Oh, yeah. It's just amazing to grasp, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the country is, it's a fascinating place because I mean, they have natural resources. They're just staggering. Yeah. And there doesn't really seem to be any plan for how to, you know, deal with them or what have you. Everybody just kind of takes this full and off they go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to, let's get back to internet law. And, um, I, I've seen a lot of people do things that, are well, maybe not questionable, but definitely not legal. 
and you know, whether whether it's you know just stealing, we're not not necessarily stealing with intent, but using other people's images or music or sounds or pieces and just putting it on their own website and putting it with their own content and just thinking that there's there's nothing wrong with it. And now there seems to be more and more people. Uh, Getty Images seems to be sending a lot of letters saying, you've used our image, you need to pay us a vast amount of money. So what are the big issues that that people are doing um, or, or getting wrong with doing business on the internet and how can they avoid them? Yes, you know, one of the unique things about, well, there's two unique things about the internet is, you know, if you think back prior to the internet, if you were going to, uh, you know, intentionally steal somebody's work, you know, so imagine, you know, a novel from the 1970s, you'd have to take the novel apart, copy every page, you know, rebind it, you know, do that over and over. It was fairly difficult. And then, you know, obviously the internet pops up and you can pretty much right click, you know, save and then republish, you know, most images on the, on the net. So it's much more easy, uh, easy to do. And then we also have a share generation, you know, where, um, whereas companies in the past and photographers and what have you would you know, be extremely protective of their work. Well, now we have things like Instagram and, and Twitter where people, you know, not only, uh, are willing to share their work, but they, you know, that's the whole purpose of it. They want it to go viral. It's part of a marketing strategy. Um, so for a lot of lay people, a lot of people who are not uh, involved with the law, you know, it's hard to, to know, you know, when you can use something and when you can't use something. Uh, and the problem is, you know, we're, from a legal perspective, we're talking about copyright and copyright applies to any fixed work. Um, and then, so the question becomes, well, do you have a right to use it? And in most cases you don't. Um, so, you know, the most important thing is to really source your content, you know, with Getty images, Getty is, um, a stock image site, essentially they're expensive, but they, you know, have different plans and, and, you know, they'll give you a license to use these images. Um, so you can use those, you can use other stock image sites, um, you know, there's, there's different licensing, but the biggest thing people need to think about as well, you know, what right do I have to use this? Because somebody took that photograph or created that graphic or whatever it is. Um, you know, how do I know I have the right to use it? If there's a share button on it or something of that sort, uh, you know, then you're fine. But if there isn't, you can't just go to a site and copy something and repaste it, um, mm. you know, and republish it um, because you're probably, you know, going to be violating copyright. Now it happens all the time. Um, <laughs> but, but you don't want one of these letters because when the letters come in, you don't really have a defense, um, you know, whether they're going to actually you know, pursue you or not is something, you know, you would need to talk to a lawyer about, but at that point you're starting to spend money and, you know, is that really what you want to do? Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of the issue that we're looking at. Um, but you know, with all the share environment, it's definitely, you know, understandable. Yeah. And cause the other, other issue also would have to be, we are so used to you put a new bit of software or a plugin and it says, these are the terms and conditions. Do you agree? And the answer is yes. Have you read them? Not a chance. And so things like Facebook, most people have got no idea what their terms and conditions are. Who actually owns the image that they put on Facebook? Is it you or is it Facebook? I mean, I see a lot of news services who just basically grab people's images off social media and stick it on the news saying, oh, here's a person who's you know missing, done a, done a bad thing, whatever it is. And I don't know the legalities of just, you know, using that kind of image off someone else's Facebook page. Uh, right. So it, it, it would be fraught for people to be... Um, and, and then there's other things like uh, some pop culture T-shirts. If you go to services like Redbubble or some of that like that, you see some people are creating 
um, T-shirts using cultural references, be it a saying, be it uh, an image that they've redone. And so while they're not stealing someone else's image, they're, in quotation marks, getting inspiration from it and then making money from it. So is that, is that a breach of, of copyright of sorts? Can be. Can be what's called a derivative work, um, you know, and it depends on the specifics of the case. One of the problems that, that comes up with Internet law is that uh, many of the foundational laws that apply to society, um, you know, were all formed before the Internet existed. Mm. And so you have this effort to try to apply those laws uh, online. And it's, you know, quite frankly, it's a bit of a mess um, because it's just, you know, the medium is such that it makes things um, that were never really contemplated when copyright, for instance, was originally, you know, set forth, yeah. you know, it makes them viable. And so you have people can go out, you know, it's very easy to go out and take an image and change it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and you look at things like a thumbnail, well, is thumbnail copyright violation. Well, Google and a, uh, adult company called perfect 10 spent a small fortune litigating that, um, throughout the two thousands. And it went all the way up to the Supreme court and it was eventually ruled that it was not. Right. Uh, and, but if that had gone the other way, <laughs> well, and this is the thing and it's, and it's, uh, and we see this in many industries just cause you can do it. Uh, doesn't mean you ethically should do it. And then the law catches up as to once you make that ethical decision, well, what are you allowed to do legally? So yeah, as you say, we're, we're chasing what you can do um, right. because the technology just keeps changing and evolving. Um, yes. One of the comments yes. that you've made is that, the World Wide Web will be not so worldwide in the future. Could you e- explain that and, and give us some reason behind it? Sure. Um, so the concept's generally known as the splinter net. Uh, and it's the idea that, you know, we've always looked at the internet as kind of this utopian uh, area where we could share information, you know, regardless of where people are, you know, with the exception of certain places like North Korea. Um, and what we're seeing right now is, you know, we're going through a phase, which, you know, I refer to as the empire strikes back, um, where countries and, and unions are, are putting out regulations uh, and laws that conflict with other jurisdictions. And so websites, even though most website owners don't realize it yet, they're, they're starting to go down a channel where they're going to be forced to determine where, you know, they want to be viewable and where they won't. So, you know, a classic example that most people are starting to become aware of is the GDPR. It's a new privacy regulation that went into effect in the EU uh, this yeah. past May. And it has very strict rules about how you can track people, how you gain consent, record keeping. It's extremely burdensome. Um, which is fine in the EU because the EU has always been that way. However, it has a a territorial scope clause in it now that that kind of ropes in companies from all over the world if they have certain connections to the EU. Um, You know, and it's it's a bad clause because of the way – it doesn't really think about the Internet. It applies to everything in the EU, so offline, online. Um, So the question then is if you have a website and you have a mailing list, let's say somebody signs up for the EU, is that enough of a connection that you might have to comply? Um, And what we've seen as a result is when it went into effect on May 25th, you know, for instance, newspapers, because they use certain cookie technology to derive revenue, uh, their only real choice at that time was to block the EU. So Los Los Angeles Times is a pretty well-known newspaper, pretty major newspaper, um, certainly in the U.S. and is viewed around the world. But if you're in Europe right now and you try to pull it up, you can't access it. Wow. And so, you know, that has a chilling effect on free speech. Um, Certainly from the business side, you know, there are major U.S. retailers who block the EU. 
don't know yep. if they're any in Australia per se, but you're starting to see this partition. And then you have com- countries like, you know, Russia, Russia passed a law that says if you're going to collect personal information from Russian citizens, you have to maintain servers in Russia with that information. You know, you can wow. play, play the ominous music behind that. Um, <laughs> you know, and so we're seeing these partitions and, and it's a wrestling match you know, between countries as to whose laws apply. Um, Canada, I mean, you think about Canada, Canada's, you know, kind of a friendly country and you really wouldn't think about them as being in front of a big legal battle. Um, But they issued rules in Canada and a a court ruling, including from the Supreme Court, saying that Google had to um, erase certain information, uh, even if it was viewed in the U.S. outside of Canada. Uh, Wow. and, And a U.S. Google challenged it in the U S and said, you know, this isn't fair. They're, you know, they don't have any authority in the U S and the U S court said, Google's right. You know, you can't enforce this in the U S. So now you have courts in the U S and Canada staring at each other saying, yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, I can. Oh, no, and you're seeing that all across the world. Yeah. Uh, and so for businesses, the irony is a lot of these regulations and rules are put in place to stop the Googles and Facebooks of the world. Yeah. Uh, all their behavioral tracking and all the different things that they do. Well, I, I know here in Australia, one of the things that's had an impact is that um, we have a, a goods and services tax, a flat 10% on goods and services. But if you buy stuff overseas, you don't pay it. Right. And the government has turned around, if it's under $1,000, and the government's turned around and said, no, nah, we want anything that's sold on the internet, you've got to pay um, the 10% GST. And Amazon yep. out of the US has said, that's too hard. We no longer ship to Australia. Um, really? And- Amazon in Australia is only just started, has a very limited and uh, 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 market percentage. Um, but yeah, so they've, they've stopped, Amazon stopped shipping to Australia because they don't want to have to worry about calculating the 10% and the burden on that. Uh, so it's very interesting. And there was an announcement recently that they may have changed that. Um, but eBay, you know, you buy stuff on eBay because we buy a lot of stuff in for Southeast Asia, dirt cheap. And eBay have set up some protocols so that you've now got to pay 10% on some of these cheapy items that we're getting in from overseas. So, yeah, it's funny how it was the worldwide, but countries are looking at, for example, from Australia, it's like we're losing tax revenue. How do we get that 10%? And um, the retailers here are going, we can't compete. The GST makes a huge price difference, even though the price is actually half of what it is in Australia. So it's amazing how they're sort of, I don't know whether it's fair to say nationalization of it, but it, it is they're, they're trying to control elements of the internet, which was once seen to be a global, uncontrollable thing. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, you'll see it through taxation. I, I think most of us are surprised that privacy has kind of been at the forefront. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the irony of it is the privacy argument that's being made by many countries is, it's a bit hard to swallow. So for instance, you know, the EU is making it and the UK has said that they will follow it even with Brexit, you know, they, they'll follow GDPR, but London is perhaps the most, you know, filmed city in the world. There's, there's one surveillance camera for every 11 people in London. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, to you know, buy their argument about how concerned they are about privacy when, yeah. <laughs> you know, when that's the case. And if you so, think of the younger generation, they don't really care a great deal about privacy because they've been internet citizens for so long and putting photos of themselves doing everything and videos of themselves doing everything on the internet forever. They, there's less, there appears to be less regard for privacy than there was for people of our generation, you know, growing up where, you know, you only a handful of people knew what was going on in your area and not the entire world. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a meme going around the internet that's very funny that, uh, you know, shows somebody in the 1970s, uh, you know, in their house, you know, saying, oh, don't say that on the phone. You know, we might be wiretapped. And then, uh, you know, the second image is, yeah, somebody now and they have, you know, an Amazon Echo and it says, dear wiretap, you know, do you have a recipe for pancakes? Um, (laughs) You're absolutely right. It's a huge changing mentality. Yeah. Um, You know, and and the problem with a lot of the regulations is that, it is an old school approach to the problem. You know, a lot of websites, I don't know if you're seeing Australia now, but a lot of websites over here, you're seeing these cookie pop-ups now. Yes. Um, and that reflects UK law or EU law. But the problem with that is that those things pop up all the time. And as you said, with terms and conditions, nobody reads them. Yeah. They, they have no practical effect. No. Uh, and, and this EU did a study even recognizing this. Yeah. And it becomes that, you know, I want what's on this website, so I don't give a stuff what, click OK, just close window, get out of my face, I want to see this thing. Exactly. And, you know, in an Instagram era and, you know, the personal branding era and share, 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 yeah, you're absolutely right. Privacy, you know, it's it's, certainly in the U.S., I can tell you, it's, it's, you know, people they don't even react much. I mean, yeah. you have people that are, you know, really interested in the subject who will complain and make a fuss, but the vast majority uh, of people here just don't care. Yeah, now yeah. in the EU, there are a lot more people who, um, just based on complaint statistics who do care and who will yeah. complain. Um, but again, I wonder how many of those people are actually, you know, really care that much versus, you know, like to be involved in a particular movement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when I'm searching for something, maybe it's my age, but when I'm searching for something, I can't remember the name. I'm usually pretty happy when Google starts guessing based on my, my history, yeah, what, what sure. I'm looking for. for sure. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like you can't get the benefits of that technology without a price. And the price appears to be your privacy, not your complete privacy, but, you know, you, you want something where we're going to have to have a cookie on your computer so we can read your history to second guess you. Right. Um, yeah. We're nearly out of time, um, but there was one thing that I really wanted to ask you. We were talking before about copyright, and there are a lot of particularly stock image companies who are starting to send these, um, I think your term is copyright crap your pants letters. Uh, and so how do you avoid getting one of these letters saying, by the way, you've used our text, image, video content, um, therefore you need to pay us a truckload of money or we'll see you in court. How do you avoid those kind of letters? Well, you know, the first step is, you know, it's going to sound simple and obvious, but use your own content and create it. I mean, with smartphones these days, you know, the quality of uh, photography, you know, photography that you can do, quality of images you can take, you know, is very high. And also, you know, depending on what you're putting out there, you know, most people know what a stock image is and it doesn't really carry any weight. If you have an image, um, you know, of yourself uh, or your products or something of that sort, you know, that's going to carry a lot more value anyway. So doing that would be you know, an optimal choice. The second step is if you're not going to do that, um, you know, stock image is a way to go um, or licensing content from, you know, particular content providers. You can often buy CDs of content, things of that sort. Um, the third thing is, that, you know, if you do get one of these letters, don't panic. Um, first of all, um, copyright law, particularly in the U.S., is an odd bird. Um, you have to, although copyright is assigned automatically to any work that's created, be it a photograph or what have you, um, those individuals who create those have to register that work with the Copyright Office in the United States within 90 days. Um, and if they don't do that, they waive the right to what's called statutory damages. Um, so consider to understand statutory damages, consider kind of an example. Imagine we have a blog. blog has 200 pages on it. 
um, you have an image that's essentially you know an infringement situation and it's on you know blog post 45 that was published seven months ago okay and you get maybe I don't know five thousand to ten thousand visitors a month um, well you know what's the actual damage mm. for that photograph you know what 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 monetary damage actually exists um, you know, by your use and the argument, you know, on a website like that is that it's going to be pretty low. I mean, it's very hard to actually prove that. And a, in a lawsuit, the plaintiff has the party that's bringing this lawsuit has the burden of proving that. And it's very difficult. Um, now if they, had, if the company had registered or the photographer had registered within 90 days, they get what are called statutory damages. And once infringement is shown, the judge or jury, depending on how the case is set up, um, can award damages between $200, uh, a violation up to $150,000 for a violation. If, if it's shown that it was malicious and intentional, um, you know, and you have a much broader range, yeah. most photographers don't register. Uh, yeah. And most people who create images don't register just because they're always taking images and it would cost too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's too much of a pain. So, uh, you know, a lot of the letters that I, people call me with these letters, you know, and I just write a letter over to whoever sent it saying, Hey, we received your letter, you know, please send over your copyright registration. Yeah. And, and, you know, between as a lawyer, you know, their lawyers see that and they either have the registration and they send it to me triumphantly and then we try to settle um, or they don't have it and they know the gig is up. <laughs> so, it, you know. appears, it appears that for some, it's, I won't, uh, it would not, might not be fair to say it's their marketing and there's a revenue stream, but there are some who are almost using bullying tactics to try and get money out of uns, un, unaware or uneducated uh, people. Absolutely. Copyright trolls. There's actually a decision came out today in, uh, uh, in the federal court in the ninth district, uh, which includes California, in which a judge um, took a copyright troll. A copyright troll had appealed something and uh, he just eviscerated them. <laughs> just <laughs> I love it when they do that. Yeah. Described their whole business model, um, you know, and then penalized them and issued, you know, kinds of different, uh, nasty little rulings against them and, and just basically called them out on that. And what that company was doing was they were sending these letters and some people would respond and, and settle and some people wouldn't, the ones that wouldn't, they would file a lawsuit. Yeah. And then they would, you know, basically send another letter. We filed a lawsuit against you. You know, we, we want your information, you know, settle now. And then if the person didn't settle or the person started to fight it, um, they would drop the lawsuit. Yeah. And it's yeah. just an abuse of the system and the court, yeah. you know, in this case, yeah. the judge was having none of it. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much for your time. I could keep talking about this stuff for ages. If um, people want to get some advice from you about, uh, you know, the, the law and internet and, and that kind of thing, or find out more about, you know, the non-world wide web, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can always reach me at my website. It's uh, SoCal, like Southern California, uh, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn quite a bit, uh, just Richard Chapo, uh, C-H-A-P-O. Uh, either of those areas uh, or those destinations, and you can usually uh, catch me. I'll be happy to talk with anybody. Fantastic. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Mary. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Mary. 
Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success.